Hello and welcome to episode six of the Hound Hall podcast. This week we're talking to Jeff Wickett of Chilton Venison as we take a delve into the life of a professional deer stalker. Your ongoing comments of late have been absolutely fabulous and please keep them coming in. And remember to like and subscribe on your chosen platform. And if all else is done, then why not sit back, relax and enjoy. That I don't know. Interesting. Maybe it's but, done for I don't know if it's done for speed required for uh, uh, funding. But there's, or well, there's, well, maybe, who knows? But there's so much demand for wood. The, the price of lumber in the US has doubled mm. year on year. Mm. Well, you'd think it would uh, make sense to cut it into core and use it for posts or building or or even or something pellets or something just anything reusable. rather than putting it back into the soil. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Good morning. Good morning to you. How are you, Jeff Wickett? At Chilton Venison, welcome to our little podcast. Finally, we've got you here, which is brilliant, yeah, really exciting. Thank you for having me. That's a pleasure. Coffee, all right? Coffee's lovely. Flapjacks, okay? Oh, Teas. <laughs> <laughs> Two kilos of Easter timber to lose. I'm loving the gilet. Nice branding. How did that come about? Thank you. This was a present from uh, Mrs. Wickett. Yeah. Um, and it was the idea is more visible presence on the market yeah store really yeah uh, henley and marlow farmers markets uh, it's nippy when you stand out there for a few hours in fact it doesn't really get seen very much because it's generally under several other layers i had someone poke their head in the door the other day and they, they saw the bags and slips on the uh, you know the show show yes. stand which is not ours but they just they're lovely poked their head and went oh you're selling merch now and i thought oh merch is this a new term <laughs> oh, obviously a shortening for but uh, <laughs> get, so are you out. starting some merch or is it <laughs> <laughs> One thing at a time. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Chilton Venison. Uh, I know you. I think I'm right in saying you started this just over a year ago. Um, well, I started stalking in about 2010, mm. and started selling to a few pubs last year. Then we had the lockdown, uh, so instead of selling in the skin to restaurants got set up as a food establishment with Buckinghamshire County Council and yeah, started on a market stall, farmer's market in Henley, and that's now progressed to Marlow and three yeah. farm shops. That must have been quite tough kicking off. I don't want to talk about last year because we've, we've everybody's talked about it to death and we're, everybody's keen to move on, quite rightly so. It's quite tough kicking off something new beginning of last year with, uh, the, with the sort of selling of. I know, obviously, I know you've been stalking for a while, but actually turning yeah. it into, you know, a sort of a... A business for well, a better terms. Uh, it was two things. One, fortunate working from home does free you up. As long as you're getting your job done, you've got a bit more flexibility on when you do it. And the other thing is, because people weren't spending money in restaurants, particularly as the lockdowns went on, interest in food increased. And at the same time, you've got much more of the the narrative in the press around the benefits of venison. Yes. Both the need to, to cull deer, to manage them for landscape regeneration, but also the ethical and uh, health benefits of, of venison. So it, the timing wasn't bad, actually. Mm. Um, and been very lucky with some of my local connections, the local shepherdess introduced me to a lot of people, uh, which has been good from a land, from a supply uh, perspective, mm. but also the, the, the people that are interested in buying high-quality meat. Okay. I mean, it's it's amazing, isn't it? And, and well done to you. And I know, you know, with everything you do, you give it a hundred percent. But it's amazing, isn't it, to think where you're based and the connections you've made. I find it, you know, strange that someone hasn't done what you've done two years ago, five years ago, maybe even up to ten years ago. 
I'm um, pleased it's happened yes. for you, but it, it, in a way, it's a sad thing that someone hasn't gone. Let's get some venison out there. Let's sell venison. There's, there's been. Why do you think that is? Why, why do you think it being in what is really you know prominent areas for you to sell your product that someone hasn't already? The interest in local has been an unexpected beneficiary of the COVID nineteen situation, and I don't think. Anyone can quite work out why. Why has local suddenly become so much more relevant? But there is an interest in local. And the other fascinating thing is the market dynamics are such that the, the big boys, the game dealers, typically would be supplying the restaurants and they'd be supplying in skin. And if you're a big estate needing to cull 500 beasts a year, let's say you, you know, you've got a population that warrants that, which quite a few of the grounds in the Chilterns have, then you need bigger outlets you need your restaurants you need your markets you've got to get rid of it in quantity because you've got a team of people that are dedicated in-house to your venison supply so they've really struggled they've had to lay staff off they've had to close down um, uh, because either the demand isn't there and some of the game dealers have stopped taking venison altogether or in the best case you're losing money every time you pull the trigger if you can only get 35 pounds a carcass that's that's tough so well, I would have imagined last year that game dealers were unable to get rid of stuff, that they would just right. run to the gunnels. All the game dealers around us uh, stopped taking fallow mm. around January time. What I mean, what did they do with that excess meat? Does it get turned into dog frozen. food? Or? Oh, right, a lot okay. of it is frozen. So, yeah. we're going to have a, so this problem isn't going to go away next year mm. in that there's still going to be a glut of inexpensive meat. As the restaurants reopen, there will be a glut of inexpensive venison, which is going to have a knock-on effect for this season's deer management plans. Yes. Um, but so I think you asked why why this year why hasn't anyone done it before? Um, there's a there's a number of hurdles you've got to go through which which can look intimidating from the outside. Actually, they're not that bad if you've got a good HACCP plan and, and you've got the right connections to help you with the, with the planning. Um, from the food safety piece, there's, there's getting your regular supply into the shops. The shops want to know it's going to be consistent. They want to know about your quality. You first of all. Um, there are a number of perceived barriers to entry, and, and I think it was just a happy coincidence that a lot of things came together. They recognised that they wanted to do more locally. Mm. The big boys weren't filling that for good reason. Lucky me. I was going to say, I mean, you are, you know, one of the reasons you're here, apart from the fact we know you, you, you I know that you are a stickler for detail, that everything is absolutely mm. 100%, and anything you do, you indeed give 100% and that much I do know of you. Do you think that's then one of the reasons and with no disrespect to anybody else in fact I put me in the other bracket you know there are people that are very proficient at stalkers love the countryside and, and and all the you know the rest of those wonders that go with but actually to do what you're doing bluntly there's quite a bit of business savvy required as well for health and safety, for management of accounts. And, and it's not just about, you yeah. know, culling, managing deer and then trying to shift them onto a shelf. And, and it I mean, there's a whole infrastructure required, isn't there? There is. And there's a lot of connections. And, and I've got a butcher that does the butchery for me. But you've got, you've got this whole spectrum. And how vertically integrated do you want to be? Mm. So I was having a lovely conversation with the chaps who are down in the Savanac Forest. Well, they're shooting 20 beasts a week, so they need a bigger outlet than I do. So they've moved to venison in a box, home deliveries. What are you shooting at the moment, roughly? Uh, this this season, it's, it's 50. It'll be about 50 beasts, the majority of which are wild fallow. Yeah. Um, it, it's all wild, but the majority are fallow. Fallow. Uh, some muntjac and the occasional roe, but not many. 
then mm. they're not so much of a challenge for us. Um, so so it's, it's all about finding the sweet spot of scale. And of course, for me, this isn't uh, the moment, at least this isn't a full time occupation. Mm. So 50 beasts in a season, I can push that through three farm shops, two markets a month, quite comfortably, uh, a few local customers that will come direct to me. If, however, you only want to supply in the skin, because that's very much easier in terms yes. of the, the legislation, then then you, you're looking for pubs and restaurants. And so that's been a deterrent for many people who simply don't want to get involved in the rest of it. The yeah. skinning, the certification of your establishment, HACCP, yeah. they see more risk and, and, and hassle and it's not worth it yeah. for them. Yeah. So what, uh, what was the sort of changing point for you from, and why, turning what was in effect uh uh not say a hobby something's not so much a hobby it's a it is a, it's a, a commitment for me. it's a passion and a commitment a hobby something for fun that you don't necessarily have to take seriously i do know every time you get with a firearm it's serious but what was the change for you from learning the art of stalking to then and why turning it into a business and you just said that currently it is a, for want of a better term, a sideline to the day job. Would you also want to develop that business into becoming the day job? There's a two in one. Okay. So I know my attention span. I'll forget half. So you have to repeat <laughs> that question again. Um, the change point was uh, there's the old adage that it takes a lifetime to build a stalking reputation mm. and only a second in, uh, in attention or yeah. a commission or a mission to spoil it. For the last uh, eight years or so, I've been building a reputation in the area. I've now picked up enough land that I need access to markets. You know, there's, there's, you're never going to shoot something unless you're going to do something with it. Yeah. Uh, put it into the food chain. And so you get to the point where you have to take control of that, that downstream demand. Uh, so that was, that was why. Yes. The change is it does put a little bit more pressure on you. There's certain times when you're, you know, if, if the... For a start, we had very little routine. Everything was a bit unstructured, and that's uncomfortable and lumpy. And uh, and then we worked out a nice routine, which is the carcasses need to be in with the butcher by a Tuesday. On Wednesday, we cut list to him, ingredients to him. Wednesday, he preps it. Wednesday morning, collects it. Um, but you, 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 it formalizes things. You have to get into a structure. You have to yes. get into a routine. Yeah. Um, Wednesday evening is the labeling and the identification of what's going where. So it's structure. But... If you haven't got a carcass in the larder, ideally a week to 10 days in advance, mm. then you know already that the pressure's on to get out there. Yes. And, and all it takes is something like the cold snap that we had that that cold winter, the, mm. the, the week where we had the snow, all the deer disappeared off my ground, which generally is just that little bit higher. They disappeared into the beech woods where there was shelter and I couldn't get to them. Um, and so you're out morning and evening and you just have less discretion about when you choose to go out. So would you want to scale this up to a full-time job? And if so, I mean, how, you know, just mentioning about that pressure of if you miss one, you know, it knocks the timings. How yeah. do you go about sort of trying to reduce the risk? So, yes, uh, we'd like to scale it up mm. full-time or the idea would, the, the dream would be to have a portfolio career, things to do with the countryside. You and I both love being outside, yes. uh, dealing with people, making connections, it's just wonderful. There's a richness to it that a, a straightforward commercial career often lacks yes. in my in my part of the world. Yes. Um, 
So the challenges there will be, well, I can see a natural scaling because realistically we only traded for half a season this year. Um, then you've got, if I can get access to other land, to other species, which would give me access to other species, then you've got the summer shooting. Mm. In the winter, it's all about hearty comfort food. In the summer, it's about the healthier barbecue options. So what cuts are you going to do? Yeah. Um, the uh, One of the challenges that I used to have, which was land, that's becoming less of a problem as more land comes my way. Really? Yeah, more land's becoming available. Yes, How because, so? well, I think it's, it's again, it's an unexpected outcome of, of COVID is that you've got the syndicates that are um, coming from all over the UK, but it only makes it worth their while if they can come for several days at a time. That means you need chiller facilities. It's only worth their while if they can find an outlet for that game. In lots of cases, you find that landowners have been let down this year because long distance uh, stalking leaseholders yep. are not coming down. Yep. Well, you know, took, let's go back to those estates. If you, uh, it's not on the same scale as those, but if you've got 500 beasts a year that need culling, mm. that implies that you've got a population of you know running into the many thousands in your valley, each eating five kilos. Speaking for fallow, let's call it sure. five kilos of, of cereal crop or woodland a day. It's a lot of damage. Yes, and just because COVID hit the human population, it had no impact on the deer whatsoever. That's right. So you've got a problem, uh, and so. You know, well, I know that was a bit of a head scratcher with, um, you know, with uh, with pigeon shooters during the lockdown. Now, right. okay, it's not an emergency service. Let's be realistic, but we also know, being realistic, that they continue eating and they eat, they eat hundreds and hundreds of tons of, you know, seed, corn, etc., yep. etc. Um, and I know that was a frustration, you know, only being able to shoot within 15 minutes of home. And, you know, I, I, I went back and, and visited some uh, some rape crop um, that was uh, not given as much attention as it should have maybe. And, you know, right. and it was in a dire state. Yep. You know, sad fact. Yes. So huge knock on effects everywhere. Things mm. you wouldn't have expected. A mm. desire for local food and at the same time increased pest problems. Do you think more people are eating venison now? They are. There's, uh, that seems like a silly question, the fact you've just said you're selling everything every bloody week. Well, but. yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I, you know, I, there are some weeks when I just can't keep up with demand and there's a recognition that um, yeah, it's got to be presented in the right way. So we try, whenever we do our mail delivery, we, we've explored the wool options. That's the route we've gone mm. with the cardboard that you can recycle. I would say we've still got a little way to go yet in that we vacuum pack everything. Yes. Presentation that's, key? Presentation key. Um, yes, the population is, I'm getting less of the, oh, that's Bambi. Um, that's good. Yes. That's good. Uh, that, if I noticed something in the paper recently. It might have been one of the TV chefs or something who was pictured there. I don't know if it was necessarily related to him, but the fact that deer has now been recognised as a, a sustainable food source. Yes. And, you know, well, rather than, put this wrongly, but, you know, the killing of an, the unnecessary killing of an animal. Yeah. That the, 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 the layman, bless well, them, are, are, you know, slowly accepting. Yes, they are. You know, because th those that know have always known it. Of course. But the, you've got to get that. You've got to get beyond the, the Disneyfication of... Yes. ...of Bambi as a, as a yes. key creature. And everyone that works with them knows they're a lovely, gorgeous creature. We all spend a lot of time studying them and admiring them. Yeah. But ultimately in the wrong place, in the wrong numbers, they're a challenge. Yeah. Um, so yes, I think the, the mood music has changed. There is an increasing awareness, yeah, not just in the shooting press, which is preaching to the choir, but in the mainstream broadsheets, you'll see the recipes, you'll see the, the push towards it. Um, I think the supermarkets in this country, some of them are starting to get there. 
mm. I think it's Aldi actually that are taking really? uh, Scottish or English venison exclusively. Is that still with the non-lead though? Oh, let's come on to that separately yeah, in a okay. moment. Save but, that, hold that but, back. But, it's, but I am surprised. I, you know, I have a lot of time for Waitrose. I think they do a lot of things very well. Mm. But if you go and shop the Waitrose venison, it's all farmed in, from New Zealand. Is it really? Double whammy. 14,315 wow. miles. Wow. Come over on a fr- refrigerated frozen vessel that's belching out the worst sort of pollution that you can get. And you know, two factors at play oh. here. We have a wild deer problem. We should say we have too many uh, mm. deer in the UK and we have farmed deer in the UK. Mm. New Zealand have farmed deer, but they also have a wild deer problem. Why on earth are we shipping farmed anything anywhere? Yeah. Well, it will come down to quantity of money. like Ab- Absolutely. Right? Sadly. But, yeah. and, and, and that is one of those things that we've got to square at some yeah. point. Because well, I, that's I, the less ethical side to me of eating venison. I remember a gilly in Scotland uh, when, when once salmon fishing, he, he, he you know related red deer or compared red deer to rabbits down south yes you know absolutely basically they're everywhere and they're a bit of a pest um which i found you know Uh, and yes they look we go up there and we look in awe at the landscape and and these iconic species yeah i mean yeah yeah, i mean they are you know they're like sort of gods you know yes but you travel down the glens there and you'll see you'll see a hundred looking at you yeah, crossing the road in front of you. Well, it's like everything is that you see it every day and you live it and then you actually really feel it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I was around near me. I was asked to put up a high seat recently, and I looked over the fence into the neighbour. There were a hundred fallow in the really? field there, wild fallow. As off- I drove away half an hour later, half a mile down the road, and I had to stop for another seventy-five as they crossed the road in two packets. I know mm. deer are not classed as a pest species. I'm right in saying that, but are they now at sort of pest? proportions yes yeah yes they are um so you're looking at depending on the species you need to cull about 20 to 30 percent of the population a year just to stand still is that happening not this year no and i would argue it hasn't been happening for a a few years really and and then you get into the scottish situation which is very interesting the way that the government has politicized that and is pushing an agenda that frankly doesn't suit the deer or or the needs of the human community but it's just to my mind that's just straight bigotry what I read of it Um, but no enough deer are not being shot Um, the growth in the population is all down to the way that we farm now there's a regular year round source of food for them somewhere Uh, we've got more forestry going in which is a great thing but it's their natural that's natural cover for them that's great um, and we've got the, the phenomenal success of the non-native species, the seeker, which are moving all the way up from uh, Dorset. Mm. Uh, you've got populations up in Scotland and everywhere else. You've got Munjack. We're getting a tremendous um, uh, migration, wouldn't be quite the right, but expansion of the range of the Chinese water deer. Uh, do, do you th- are, are Munjack growing uh, in proportion more so than the other species due to the fact of their irregular breeding pattern? Do you get you and, and, and their silly, size. But as they all get, you know, more and more, are they growing even more so because of? I, I believe, and I don't recall correctly, but I think mm. that they've they've shown the biggest expansion of range yeah. because, as you say, they breed all year round and they're small. Yeah, and they can fit in your garden. And they're really difficult to control. Right up, the, in, fallow are very difficult to control, but munjack are difficult. Present their own challenges because yes. they're so small. Because they can live in a garden, um, they're very difficult to shoot. I regularly get people coming to the store saying, "Can you come and sort a munjack out of my garden?" Um, 
is that deer going to be there all the time? No, uh, you know, I could turn up there six, seven, eight times and, and never see that munjack. And if I do see it, it's in a garden. Am I going to get safe arcs on it? So yeah. I'm very constrained by it. So, yes, munjack are a, a challenge and they're expanding and their numbers. Do you go over right. to slugs in a shotgun for something like that if you had to do something like that? Um, in a unique situation. The, the law would say that you can use a AAA yeah. on that. Yeah. Um, okay. But that's not really any. It's not my preference. No, 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 no. Simply because um, I'm just trying to pack in information for anybody yeah. who's listening. You know, those silly. I always I have my little saying. There's no such thing as a silly question. You know, and 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 I, I did hear someone muttering about a slug or SSG or something, and I was just curious. Yes, to know, yeah, you can use in a unique, size, but, you know, you, rare you, situation. A AAA uh, shotgun cartridges. You wouldn't need a special dispensation for but no. a Brennica slug is a section one so you'd need to have that separately recorded on yes. your on your ticket yes uh, yeah and show good reason for it do you when selling and I know you say largely fallow with the odd other species sometimes is there a flavor difference between them there's certainly a color difference mm. and which one would assume would add to flavor Yes. Yeah. So a lot of this. So personally, for me, I love working with fallow. Mm. They're a nice size. I've herniated enough discs in my back that that I'm very happy to work <laughs> with something that weighs in. And our Chilton fallow are smaller than the Sussex fallow. Yeah. So I say, so I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, see them as being necessarily small. No. I look at some of the ones in Sussex. I mean, they're you uh, know, well, it's partly the park. Yeah. Uh, genetics there, but yeah, the the big bucks are always going to weigh a fair amount. But you asked about flavour. Munchak, uh, slightly lighter colour than the fallow. Fallow, meanwhile, has a nice level of, of fat to it, as much as any of the deer have any fat to them, the fallow will. Um, they're a nice size to work with. If you're a, a chef, they're a nice size as well. Plenty of, of usable meat. And in terms of the economics of me getting them butchered, it just makes good sense. If it's a munchak, I do it myself, because it's not worth the butcher getting out of bed for. Yeah. There's certainly, I shot one there that I had two, uh, two side by side. One was... Um, 24 pounds and, and one weighed 11 pounds mm. well the yield's about 66 percent on a good day mm. that's quite challenging economics um some will tell you that uh, so the, the one of the difference is is the grazing so fallow broad noses they're generally grazers that they will browse the roe deer a narrower more pointed jaw to enable them to get into the yeah. herbage on, on the hedgerows interesting some yes. people say they have um that that, that comes through so on the grazing feeding habits yeah, yes yeah yeah um Personally, I, I notice it not so much, but mm. but the texture little difference is there, and the big difference is really, and this is one of the things that has changed, is I won't hang my venison for more than about ten days, no. and it can be as little as three days, and part of it is how alert was the beast, was it scared, had you just shot one next to it, in which case the adrenaline is flushed through it. Um, the long, the more alert and, and alarmed it is, the longer you're going to want to hang it. The smaller beast, less time hanging. The larger beast, longer time. <laughs> Um, but I think for years, you know, there was this braggaduccio machismo that we, oh, we hang our game for 28 days, right up there with pheasant and stuff. Well, no, thanks oh, very much. Uh, personally, I, I couldn't find anything more off-putting than some maggot-riddled bird, you know, I mean, that's... <laughs> and that, you I and mean, I have both shot with somebody whose claim to fame is that yeah, he loves that kind of thing. That's right, yeah. I wouldn't even give that to the bloody dogs. dogs. No. no. No, I've seen your dogs <laughs> and they'd say no anyway. <laughs> Um, um, but just so, a quick disclaimer here for anybody who's listening, staying on a seasonal edge. I'm riddled with hay fever at the moment, so uh, just in case there's a heavy breathing, uh, 
I'm sorry, I'm really bunged up. <laughs> right. Uh, but, uh, so, so two <laughs> things. Excuse me. One, mm. you know, if people have had uh, the stags or the bucks out of the rutting season, then they'll find those are very strong. Mm. Musky because basically they're, they're they're run at that point in the same way that we talk about salmon being run. Yeah, these are animals that have gone into ketosis. That is to say that during the rut, they're so busy chasing off competitive bucks or stags that they just don't eat. Their stomach shrink. They burn through all their fat and the um, adrenaline's pumping. And, quite, and yeah. they and they've been rolling in their own urine and everything else, and they stink when you get close to them. And some of that is in the flesh. So. I don't shoot, well, two things. One, I don't shoot bucks because... uh, Sorry, is that a typical night out in the Chilterns on a Friday or are you talking about the deer? (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's stick to the deer. Uh, I won't shoot bucks simply because um, the Chilterns is fairly close to London and I think that's had a significant effect on the population, which is to say that in an ideal world, you're looking for what is known as a Hoff pyramid in a a deer structure, right? So you're looking for fewer older beasts, more younger beasts. So let's imagine it as a triangle with the age bands by year down here. And you want, ideally, a split down the middle, male and female, equal numbers either side. That's how you avoid a genetic bottleneck. Now, the herds that I see that I'm starting to pick up in the Chilterns, I reckon the ratio is nearer seven does to one buck that's not a good thing um it's it's partly a function of the fact that we've got uh, the buck season on the on the fallow runs from august through to the end of april which gives you longer days to get out of there better weather and the bucks can be more visible and bucks includes brickets so that's the youngsters as well but the does don't come in until november because they're not dropping their young until june july you want the young to be more independent or independent by the time you get shooting them in November, and then they go out at the end of March. Bleak weather conditions, family condi- you know, family Christmas duties or whatever mean that actually the does get away relatively lightly, and it's yes. the does that we need to be culling. So, yeah. anyway, long story short, I choose not, uh, as a general rule, to cull bucks because I think we just got to let them get yeah. on and, and try to bring that, try to maintain the genetic pool there as best we can, yeah. and let it expand. Yeah. I um, I read somewhere once that um, you suggested when cooking venison, uh, and this is I thought this was fabulous, and combined with your website, um, you're going to correct me on this, but it was something along the lines of if it's the front of the beast, you can do one thing with; if it's the back that's a bit tougher, you you can slow cook it and so on. Yeah. And then combined with your beautiful website, which which will punt out at the end, obviously, for anybody who wants to know more about Chilton venison, you've got some beautiful recipes as well, nicely you know sort of presented, clear. I thought that was a fabulous angle. Well, because I think it's like all these things, isn't it? That um, people, you, you get those sort of barriers where just people are put off by something different when actually a tiny step forward and it's, ah, it's just another version of meat. Yes. So I thought that was cracking. Well, uh, one of the things that I have lo- discovered is that I love talking to people about venison on the stall. Yes. You know, you've got people that are familiar with it, in which case they want to know in detail, and you've got those that think it sounds like a good idea from the ethical and the local perspective mm. 
butter or a little intimidated because there's this myth that venison is hard to cook. Yes. Um, and so uh, let me get this out early. Yeah, a great big thanks to Scott Ray because that's Scott Ray's uh, book that all okay. those recipes came from so let's, with his Okay, blessing. so let's, let's be clear on that because that's really good. So Scott Ray and the so, book is called... It, so that's The Merchant of Venison. Okay. Uh, and if you look him up on YouTube, he has a mine of information and he is ever so generous with his information. Brilliant. Scott is an award-winning butcher yes. who's gone independent and he loves British game and his, his next book's coming out, which is all about the pig and it's it's kind of nose-to-tail eating. Mm. Um but for anyone that's worrying, and I occasionally get asked about whether I'll supply somebody deer in the skin because they want to take it apart themselves and do all the butchery, which I think is fantastic. You won't get it perfect, but it's all going to be eatable. But surely if you could roast a lamb joint, uh, a pork joint, and you can cook a steak, then you, you're cooking venison. Yes, quite. <laughs> uh, to your point earlier, you know, the shoulders do 60%. The shoulders and the neck are the most active on a, on a deer. Yeah, so um, talk us through, nose to yeah. tail, yeah. So, so from the front end, any, anything that's got the sinews and the collagen, we want to cook slowly. We want it all to melt to give us the sweetness, oh. and so that's long, slow cooking at a lower temperature. Um, the, so the neck, a deer is a very alert animal. It's always moving, and if you watch, its ears are amazing. The ears can work independently as well. Uh, so it can pinpoint very, very exactly any any noise that it wants to. But meanwhile, the head's moving, so the neck is working all the time. The shoulders take 60% of the weight. Um, so again, that's going to be a, a slow cook. The shanks uh, and the shins. The shins on the front, um, quite thin. That tends to get minced. Um, as you get up into the shoulder, you can dice that. So we take any bullet damage, and we're going to talk about lead and copper a bit later mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. Uh, the loins run all the way down the back. You call it the sirloin. Um, that's that's wonderful. That's sort of for many people. That's I'm going to say yeah. it's the prize cut simply because on a uh, yeah. it would people would otherwise refer to the fillet. But on a fallow, the fillet doesn't necessarily weigh a huge amount. Whereas you're getting good yield on the sirloins. Mm. So those would be a pan fry, short yeah. fillet. Likewise, uh, you get into the skirt. That's typically minced. Everything taken off the the breast. That's that's can get minced and either use as mince or in sausages and burgers. Mm. And then you get on to um, the haunches. And the way that we cut ours is we do the chump slash the rump. If it was lamb, it would be the chump. If it's uh, a steer, it would be the rump. That wonderful wedge just at the top of the of the buttocks there. That's great. Uh, either as a little roasting joint or uh, we you do it on them. The, the hot metal tray, the griddle. Yeah. Uh, two minutes aside, bit of black pepper and salt. Oh, I'm just salivating a bit there. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and then, and then <clears throat> just slice that into steaks. And, and that is our yeah. favourite these days. And then you've got the, the massive muscle on the haunch. Well, on a muntjac, you might sell that on the bone yes. as a roast. But on a, on a fallow, when that's weighing three, four, five kilos, you're getting that individually seamed out yeah. um, as a roasting joint. Which, which you know, so people... I can sell a roasting... What's interesting is I can sell a roasting joint on the market store when I talk to somebody and yes. I can t talk them about how to, to cook it, but I still it, they still don't sell in the shops, and I, uh, the farm shops. And these are really lovely farm shops, and I can see that the expensive beef joints have gone because mm. people have a confidence spun up, but we're working up to that on the venison. And the time will come when those joints will sell in the shops, but at the moment it requires that... Hand-holding sounds patronising. It's not meant that way. No, I know what you but mean. But it, it requires that encouragement. It's almost an that. education. Yes, and the it's confidence like, that, that it'll be fine. But if you can cook lamb, you can cook venison. Yeah. Because there are bits of lamb that you cook slowly, the neck, scrag, um, in the same way that you do... 
What, just the brief answer on this without going all philosophical, but, you know, a few hundred years ago or more, um, you know, deer would have been uh, the main staple apart from veg and the odd rabbit and whatever yep. else. Where do you think it changed? Where do you think it went from the main staple and then sort of disappeared into becoming this sort of, you know, not mercurial, but this sort of, you know, game that everybody knows Hallowed. about, but it's either, yeah, it's sort of a, it's a Friday night treat or yes. it's just for those that shoot. Why do you think that? But if indeed you have an opinion well, yeah, on that. You've got, you've got the urbanisation of the population. Mm. Um, so people are more removed from agriculture mm. and from the countryside. Xenia, my wife, would be the first to say the last few years have been a real journey for her. <laughs> yeah. And she gets it. She loves it now, she, the, the whole sourcing the food. But if you look back to the venery, venison, venery, yeah. the chase, um, that was a royal... The Royal Parks down here, you've got Petworth. Uh, uh, to be, if you were found poaching deer, that was death. Yes. So yes. Um, and then yeah, for some reason, this mythology around venison is difficult. Mm. There's always been plenty swapped in the pub in a black bag. I'm sure. Yeah. Bin bag, a haunch of roe here and there. But for years, we we didn't have the. We've never had the, the numbers of deer that we have at the moment, so it's not been quite so accessible for okay. many folks supermarkets haven't sold it whereas your butcher would have done and you trusted your butcher as our shopping habits have changed and we shop in the supermarkets it, it's just like any other ecosystem it's got narrowed over time oh. and, and people will pick up a chicken that may have been mass farmed or whatever without a thought we haven't put the value on our meat we haven't we've lost the confidence with it there's a uh, reading james rebank's book at the moment english pastoral it's just wonderful you know yeah. it, it he explains some of the confusion that I have felt because a lot of my childhood was spent on a North Devon farm, which was stuck in in the ways of farming of old. Yeah. Wonderfully rich biodiversity. I remember my Uncle Jack out in the in the wheat fields pulling the wild oats by hand. Yeah. Well, that yeah, the sprays, the loss of biodiversity, the loss of the the hedgerows. That's all gone. Yeah, so yeah. many things there that, that I've just not even started to unpack, I've just thrown out on the table. But yeah, So I guess short answer would be, it started off with, with the elevation of deer to, to royal. Yes. Royal only, to, yeah. to, to the sport of kings and queens. Um, then changing shopping habits, loss of the rural community, urbanisation. I mean, it's, it's funny as well, isn't it? I think back to, and I might have meant, I might have said a similar thing when we, we had uh, Philippa, the chef, um, on a few weeks ago. And obviously talking about food. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember the 70s, you know, that sort of grey liver. Oh, when you had liver, yes. you know, grey, very strong. Um, and and the funny thing is, I've got a couple on the, on the markets. There's a couple of Scandinavian, ladies, Danish and Swedish, that will come and ask specifically for the liver. But I have yet to be asked for it by, but by the a bread. Yeah, the liver, the, the first time, and I, I'm not just saying this to sound convenient, this is fact. The, the first time I had row liver or liver from a deer so yep. it has them to be from a row and it's huge and and you can you can almost cut it in i mean i like my food yes and you think oh a piece of liver and then you look at it and then you cook it you get a third of the way and you think no no i'm, I'm done <laughs> it's pure you very quickly learn yep. that a yep. liver actually feeds four yes you know yes, and heartily and have you had it yet with a puffball mushroom no, but Wonderful. I've had it pan fried with butter, salt and pepper, yeah. and some other wonder, wondrous bits around it. But it was stunning. 
Yes. That the flavour is stunning. And you can gravy and onion it, or you can keep it simple and salad, or, you know, obviously there's variants, but the flavour is stunning. And, and I I, and, I, I can't see how anybody wouldn't like that. No, no, and I think we will get there. And the uh, kidneys. I mean, look how we've lit up. I love the yeah. kidneys, yeah. Um, and even the heart thinly sliced. I mean... Do you know, here's know the weird thing. I believe in using every bit of the beast. And, yes. And you, you saw Artemis, our spaniel earlier. That's probably where I got. finish, but... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, she gets everything, but, but I won't... I can't bring myself to do the heart. Mm. She'll get fed that and the lights, everything. Nothing mm. goes to waste uh, at all. Um that and I'll even feed her the brain, but I can't bring myself to, heart, to eat the heart. And I have no idea why. It's it's uh, doesn't make any things. sense. But yeah. but to your point, the liver, right? So on a farmed animal, what has the liver had to do? Well, the animal has often been stressed because a lot of farm animals are brought up indoors now; they don't actually get out. So you've got stress, you've got proximity, which for animals is stressful. Um, you've got the antibiotics, you've got the steroids. Not not in the UK, but but you've got steroids in other parts of the world. Well, the liver and the kidneys are responsible for processing all that. Oh. And and I yeah, I am a firm believer that animals going to an abattoir know what is coming, particularly oh. when they get to the abattoir. There is a smell and there is an environment. And the big industrial processing units can do everything they like to try and make that more humane. Well, they've got to have a sense of something, haven't they? If they they're can sent, sense there's a dog walker coming. There's I mean, self-preservation, beings. surely, isn't yes. it? Yes, they're sentient yeah. beings. And, yeah. yeah. And, and the reason that the... The reason that the the big industrial slaughtering houses put in curved corridors and fake grass on the floor and stuff, it it's not enough, and they're 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 doing it for their benefit because the animals then become easier to handle, right? Yes. But there's no way you're kidding these beasts. No, well, um, they're intelligent things. Though. So, yeah. so so that stress, you know, that's mm. all been processed by the liver and the kidneys. Um, so and then this is coming out in the flavour as well. Yeah. yeah. Whereas I had two deer on. Two fallow on Tuesday night, 210 metres. The first one was straight through the top of the heart. It dropped, it kicked twice. That was that. See, this the, is the irony, and the, isn't it? And, and, and the second one wandered up to it, had a sniff, wandered another 10 metres and dropped to the next shot. Mm, mm. So no stress, nothing. This is the irony. I know it's funny, isn't it? People don't consider that, I'm just going to use the term mass production, or, or yeah, the, the, the production of, yes. as opposed to... The individual, it's, the dedicated specialist, going yeah, out, you know. It's it's so we go. We talked about packaging earlier. So yes, I vacuum pack mm. all of our meat. That's a hygiene thing and a freshness thing, of and all the rest of it. And at the moment, I have a poly a polystyrene tray in there, which helps to soak up some of the blood and helps everything to stack. Are you shelf. looking for a some form of biodegradable? Yes, packaging over. Yeah, and I and I have spoken with some of the spies, but no one I've spoken to yet has said that they've seen anything that is good enough. Okay, as yet, we'll we'll get there. But you're that on my, it. That's my earnest hope. Yeah. Um, and and we put a blood pad in there because early on we didn't, and you would see the blood with the vacuum pack would force the blood up. But for some people, that is too much. Yes. If you spoke to my father, who grew up on a farm, yes. he doesn't care. And there's an advantage to get rid of the blood. Is it's the first thing to go off, so oh, it helps with the sure. freshness. But you know, speaking with the far, farm shop owners, and even they said, well, it's just what you've got to do. It's the, we, we get it, but the consumer doesn't want to see it. And, oh. and that, to me, is a loss of respect for the animal. The day you try to... Um, distance too much from the fact that an animal died for you to have your dinner. Yes. And I'm not advocating going vegetarian, clearly, or I wouldn't be doing what I do, but I do have a lot of my best conversations with vegetarians. Very interesting because a number of them that are vegetarian for ethical. In fact, uh, a bit of a segue, 
I was out dog walking the other day. I got talking to a chap who I see occasionally. He said, you know what, I've been a vegetarian for five years. And and just uh, and then we walked down to, our, to, to my freezer and he bought some venison sirloin steaks. I said, that was great. Really? It's a nice them. easy meat. He could digest it really easily. He tried it. Yeah, because, because it... Big reason and for him for going... that was his first step into, not, into being a meat eater. I don't know whether he's going to continue or not, but the thing was, he felt that he could. How fabulous. Because it was ethical and it was humane. And, How fabulous. You uh, see, that's, you know, that is... That's music to my ears, you know? Mm. Because, you know, this is the thing, isn't it? It's about having an understanding. You know, militant views causes destruction and misery. Yeah. To have an understanding. I'm a vegetarian because of duh. All right, I follow such and such a religion because it uh, doesn't mean you can't do another, and we shouldn't poo-poo you for it yep. unless you're doing something you know that's utterly wrong or appalling or whatever. Um, that's a that's actually a brilliant story. And I was going to say, you just made the connection there between uh, all the negatives of mass-produced meat yes. versus the specialist, you know, uh, taking. Uh, and there what was would just, happen? There was just one Sorry, bit there that I didn't finish, which was. Uh, when you distance, um, so that's the son of a, my third cup of coffee. I'm going to be bouncing later if we go and shoot some clays. Um, yeah, for anybody listening, it was quite particular on a rider. It had to be top coffee, <laughs> flapjacks, and a warm seat. I think we got two uh, out of three. It's, it's getting precious, as you said. Yeah. I expect my high seat to be warm too. Um, venison. So um, the problem with, with reliably expensive. Carry on. The, the the problem with distancing ourselves from the animals that we eat. Yeah is that it leads to a disrespect and a gluttony. If you consciously think about the animals you're eating, you will probably end up eating a bit less meat. But my gosh, you will respect it when you do. And be totally honest. Be totally honest with me. What would happen if the, the uh, deer weren't managed? Oh. Well, you and be really, re- but don't, we're not just going to hand this up to say we've got to shoot deer because of eggs. Let's, let's be really honest. Okay. Just to the layman listening, let's say we, from tomorrow onwards, no deer in the UK are shot... What would happen in the next six to 12 months? Well, let's take an example of that, which is, is Scotland. You know, there are not enough deer being shot in Scotland. We can all agree on that. The solution we may disagree on. But you've got the Caledonian, or you used to have the Caledonian forest up there. Well, that cannot regenerate because of deer. Uh, they are preventing any regeneration of that woodland because they will simply get in and browse. And for, pe- and for people that say, well, why don't you deer fence it? Well, a deer can jump six foot, according to the book. I've got people that have got deer fences. The ground that I shoot, they'll tell they've seen fallow clear more than that really? without being particularly stressed. Most of them I've seen go under the fence. Well, a deer will go <laughs> under a fence if it can. Yeah. Of course, the bucks can't no, when of course. They, once they've got a, a rack. But, yeah. but um, yes, and, and all it takes is you've got, ac- you've got to have access into these plantations to work them, so you've got a gate. Where you've got a gate, you've often got ruts. A munjack can get under a rut, a roe can get under a rut, and a fallow can get under a rut as well, you know, those mm. wheel ruts under a gate. Mm. Trees come down, um, snow drifts, banks, all of these things, you know, banks are high ground, sloping ground. Deer will get in through fencing if they want to, and, and a badger will open up a hole and then your deer will push you after that. So even when you fence, as the army would say, it's no good having a barricade and then just walking away from it. You have to man it, and mm. that's, that revolt involves human management and, and shooting because mm. once they're in they're all they're in mm. um, and they've got shelter and food and that's the two things that the deer are looking for and then reproduction at certain times of the year so the, the three key drivers for them so um, woodland wouldn't regenerate 
Um, you can see that in the Chilterns. I don't know how it is down here in Sussex, but if you go around the Chilterns, you can see a browse line in the woods and you can tell uh, what sort of deer you've got because of the height of the browse line, low down munjack, next up row. And by the time you get up to sort of mid chest height, that's the fallow and they'll take all the ivy off the trees. Yeah. But your beech trees won't regenerate. Um, so you get that problem. And then from an agricultural perspective, you've got the damaged hedgerows. All right, our hedgerows are already in a pretty parlous state, but fallow yeah. will just bulldoze through them and any saplings that start to grow will be, will be nipped off. Um, but around me, it's not a challenge to see herds of 100 fallow on one side of the road and another 100 on the other side of the what, road. What about the condition of the beasts, you know, the, 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 sort, of, yeah, the um, you know, so sort of health and well-being of? It's paradoxically this year I have seen both the lowest and the highest uh, numbers of ticks. Um, oh. Deer numbers, of I've course. I've seen a climb ticks. in ticks this year, on, especially, you know, I'm relating that to the earning, you know, four Labradors. Right, yeah, um, I have in this last... Even in the, co the in cold, the there's ticks. Right. Uh, more so than ever. And the weight of the beast. So, yeah, I, I do have some patches of ground that are enclosed where I'm asked to, to manage the deer and mm. there are excess populations in there. And so the average weight is a good 10 pounds lower than I would expect out mm. where I see them in the crops. But, you know, what happens if we've got too many deer? Farmers aren't draft, crop prices suffer, damage to the ecosystem. Um, 100 fallow sitting in your wheat field eating five kilos a day each mm. yeah that has a significant impact mm. uh, and then uh, and then fallow are renowned for lying in the crops in standing crops and, and flattening it that's probably more of a perception thing in a reality because combines these days are so capable of lifting even yes. grain. however there was there was some interesting research done as well just to add into the mix that uh, on row browse or row grazing uh in wheat fields and actually it was interesting because some of the some of the wheat that was browsed and nipped went on to sprout more heads. Really? Likely. How funny. funny! So it's never quite black and white. No. Uh, so. <laughs> this is what I find interesting, you know, being a which you are a professional stalker, bluntly. Um, the 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 knowledge set is actually way beyond the the uh, you know the subject. Yep. You know, having this understanding of, of, of uh, you know, agriculture and crops and nature and wildlife. And, and this is what I find and, so interesting. And, and I think this is the commitment too, isn't it? Yes. I mean, for anybody, sounds like a radio show, doesn't it? For anybody listening, but for anybody who is listening, who is interested in or thought, I, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to try that or I'd like to experience that. Is it accessible for the layman? Do you think it's it's fairly easy? I don't want to say to get into, yep. but for someone to go and, oh, I want to find out more. I want to get outside. I want to experience it firsthand. Do you think there's enough of that? And indeed, is it accessible if it I think exists? it is accessible. Um, you know, the easy way in is take an outing with a professional guide. Um, someone will take you out. Um, Simple Google search in your area. Google search, yeah. Um, Are there any sort of bodies that you would... Okay, Again, let's think of the layman. They don't know anybody from Adam. Would you tend to look for that information from a recognised body or would you just Google and assume that anyone you found was of a standard? Mm, interesting. Um, so there isn't a professional deer stalker's body. There used to be the yeah. Association of Professional Deer Managers, but that seemed to fall by the wayside some years ago. We've got the B BDS, haven't we? So, the, the yes, British the British Deer, deer Society. Society, but they wouldn't necessarily be able to point you in touch with a local stalker would I don't bask have think. a stalking outlet maybe oh, not stalking but someone who could could give advice 
on how one might... They, they do. Um, it's, is it Glynn in Basque? Um, yes, in short, they would. And the Basque also has a great scheme. Yeah, so... Well, let's go back a step. So, yeah, I would say get in touch with a professional deer stalker and go out. Oh. Someone that will let you, uh, that will want to see, they'll want to see that you can shoot properly. Or you could just choose to go out with them yeah, uh, and observe deer, watch them in action, um, go out with them, build a, build your basics. And then you would start on the training courses, which uh, DSC1, DSC2. That seems quite an interesting course, the first one. You know, it's sort of, it's quite varied. It covers a lot of... Well, yes, to your earlier point, it has to. I mean, for a start, you've got firearms law, you've got wild mammal law, and then you've got uh, land ownership law. Deer are wild. They don't belong to anyone. They belong to whoever's land they drop dead on, mm. effectively, which is why landscape management and control of them is a challenge, um, particularly for the, the species that are hefted to an area of land like fallow. So they'll cross boundaries. They don't care that mm. it's one estate or next. Um, so get started... DSC-1 is the basic qualification, but it'll teach you a lot of things. DSC-2, and a lot of what's in these courses is changing at the moment. I'm not totally au fait with all of it. Sure, but, that's, fine. Um, that's fine. And then you've got the, the sort of week-long uh, deer management qualification that would enable you to farm deer if you wanted. Okay, uh, at least that's interesting. The starting point. But you, there's no substitute for spending time out in the field as well. No. So that theoretical knowledge, depending on how people learn, everyone learns differently. Theoretical knowledge and then go and put it into practice. So then, And then move between the two to keep it refreshed and, and my yeah. bookshelf is full of deer books yeah i, I love it um but then one thing that bass do very well and um, and there's plenty of things let's be honest that i don't think bass do particularly well sure uh, i think they've failed the shooting community around the issue of lead for a start yes um but one thing that they have done for a number of years is they've had a scheme on the isle of Arran where uh, people can access red deer stalking hinds and and the stags for a week at a time at a fairly affordable price and I've been up and I think it was a good scheme it's a very difficult thing the lead subject we won't go massively into that I know it's current but that is a discussion all on its own and well, actually see even more I, interesting I, in your space I well think. I, but I think it's done uh, for me bluntly it was the mismanagement of information slash timing of yeah, and I think on yep. reflection, and nothing's black and white, and I'm I don't know huge amounts about this, but uh, you know if things have been thought about a little more in advance, i.e., the pricing of a product, and more importantly, how does that product work through your gun? Yeah, yeah that was the biggest. Yeah, and also the reverting back to the first point sort of the throwing out of information uh, it, by bodies that weren't weren't manufacturers of cartridges and hadn't consulted so, a, a, uni yeah. a unilateral decision <coughs> excuse me made after years of the lead action group and then just a complete vault fast overnight without consultation of well, any of the stakeholders including the people that pay their bills if no, you're if you're going to start something new in layman's terms you're going to work out how much it is what it's called what the packaging looks like Maybe a few other USPs. Are we ready? Yeah, right. Let's tell the world and sell some. Well, let's That's consult. sort of the basic train of thought, isn't it? Yeah. There was just. Um, a, anyway. This was yeah. So you know what? Was, but the good news said, is, I think your world is very different. I think yeah. there remain some, remain some challenges with steel shot, not transferring the energy as well. well Damn it. The, the good news for us is just give us a, a four ten cartridge now with steel. Get the pricing right. And we're away. Yep. And you've got your standard steel and your high-performance steel. I'm now talking about shotguns only. Yes. Um, and then I think six months after the change, it'll become history. I'm sure there'll be a bit of noise in the tunnel in, with details. There always is. And the, cha and, and the challenge here is that because it's been managed so badly, there's a lot of ill feeling. Uh, oh. Basque will have lost a lot of support on it oh. and need to have a bloody good look at themselves. And probably a, 
But again, this is, it, yeah. it's in, in a way, and I don't want to sound all wishy-washy, and I don't fully understand, so I'm being careful about what I say. In a way, it's, it's al- almost a shame as well to have a, what I'm going to call an in-house turmoil. You know, because it's messy. Without because it's going to get used against us. We all need us. to stick together. Yes, you know, and cartridges that, need to be sold to shooters. Shooters need bodies to manage things and put on days. They need shooters to exist. Everybody needs everybody, and you know, to, to a degree, look after each other. But, but we need to have a sort of a, you know, a ring round us. You know, work together. Yes, which historically we have not done at well, all. Well, and we've always got outside, you know, sort of negativity at the best of times. Yep. And so with this, it's not about lead and steel. I just thought, wow. Yes. Wow. You would think that, you know, you know come on. That, and I'm going to pick them out again that, that Basque cannot continue to treat it like it's a 1980s rural conservative association. Mm. Just because they say it so does not make it so in this day and age. They need to get with the programme. I, I think, all, you know, all these different people obviously do things for their own reasons. And again, yeah. I don't understand why, but to them, it's obviously, you know, a necessity. I, I but think I think looking back. They have forgotten who they serve. Well, I think, uh, you know, I think uh, one person, a voice, something to look after the whole thing would be, yes. and I mean really someone with but, a voice. Uh, so, you know. so that was the shotgun piece. We also got onto the rifle ammunition. So mm. I've historically used lead. I'm swapping over to copper this you season. Are. Yep, yep. So uh, that's uh, a, the, permanent move done. the, the yep. challenge at the moment is supply. Yep. Um, I have ordered uh, my full ticket allocation, uh, but I can't get hold of that until August. Because I load my own, so I've ordered the heads. Oh, get this. the game dealers in July this year. July oh, no, next year. year. Okay, no, you're but, fine. You're so, in. That's right. Sorry. So, yes. so for me, do I believe all the science? Mm, look, wildfowl, I get it because they grind up in their gullet. So the the much bigger surface area of lead. Do I buy it elsewhere? Mm, there's enough other lead pollution and, and other pollutants in the guts that when you look at the amount of agricultural fertilizers they go on, which are a pollutant, let's be yeah. clear. Yeah, there are bigger fish to fry because they go and buy the millions of tons a year, and here we are being picked off for a few tons of lead. Yeah. Really, it's all about perspective. This well, has been weaponized steel against shot us. Actually, can react with some of the fertilizers and give off a gas. Yeah, well, this has been yeah. so. This has been weaponized against us, yeah. and, and, and that's why. Yeah. Anyway, I agree with you. That is done. Um, the but for me, the, there's some evidence that well, there's plenty of evidence that shows that lead will in some cases powder and go further through the carcass of a deer than you think. Well, I like to use every part of the beast. It's part of my ethic that you know, everything tail gets dog gets the tail, dog gets the hooves, dog gets the brain. If I'm taking the, the, the head off, dog gets the tongue. I mean, we're not going to the gorilla detail. Very very little gets wasted. The skin gets thrown in. Gets through. I can't find a use for that. I'd love. I have tanned skins in the past, yes. but it's painful because deer hair's hollow and it sure. breaks. Sure. Um, however, what I'm not going to do is I don't want my dog, who gets fed venison seven days of the week, to get lead poisoning. So I'm going to swap to copper. Um, how my many re- dogs? Sorry, just to butt in. I'm, I'm not being clever. Purely, yeah. uh, I, I don't know how many dogs have been affected by lead poisoning? I don't know. I have anecdotally. It's not mm. statistical. I have... People have been affected by uh. lead poisoning through the consumption <laughs> of game. About zero. It, yeah, it, it's not many. I was hoping you might just throw me some. No, well, could, because, no one, because no one studied it. So and, it is just so, a European thing that was related around pregnancy or something, nothing to do with people who have... Well, California haven't. moved against lead some yeah. years ago. Um, Natural product lead, you know, but, nice. But, but there's this whole... Um, and you see it with the way that... I think it's 
Natural England have done is that the EU now allows them to act basically as if you're guilty until proven innocent. And lead is one of those top subjects that they've... Likewise, the Game Bird release and the triple SIs, that was all, oh, you're guilty until you can prove otherwise. Just a blanket ban. Likewise, the general licenses, we see the same approach being applied, and it, it's wrong. It doesn't sit well with the English justice system. But I don't think that that's a, just a European thing. I think that that's this distancing and that urbanisation of the bodies, the detachment from, from rural life and conservation and sound statistics that has enabled them to do that. Now, you, you, we haven't mentioned this, but I know that you load your own ammunition. Yep. Um, from converting from lead to copper, I know you're having an issue in acquiring material. Yep. Um, uh, just to be clear, that's not a problem that's going to go away. So I've ordered my allocation in August. I'm already being told by the gun shop that the next time they're going to be able to get in is July the following year. So in effect, you're going to run out? Yeah, I'll be okay. But Right. Does uh, does it play any different part in the sort of fine art of um, home loading? Um, not really. The the projectiles are, are, are you fire a slightly lighter uh, projectile uh, mm. using the same. So you're so same you're grain, but same same power. Yeah, you use yeah. the same quantity of powder because you know that's going to affect your barrel harmonics. Yeah. So you've set that. You found your sweet spot on the nodes. Uh, a slightly lighter bullet because it's uh, so it's going to travel faster. Yes, and that will give you. Uh, I'm always told by my army friends that it's not quite the right equation, but for most of us, E equals MC squared covers it. Energy, which is what you're trying to transfer into the beast, which requires that expansion, is mass times speed squared. Yeah. It's all about speed. So because you, you, you need the bullet to expand, that's in the animal. Yeah. Uh, that's how the energy is transferred. Yes. Um, that's what we're trying to maintain. So lighter round, but driven faster by the same powder. Interesting. The effect. And, and the, the copper heads that I'm going to use have, uh, you can buy them as a solid monolith. There's going to be challenges around that because the shooting ranges aren't allowed to use monolithic rounds. No. Uh, what do I mean by that? Monolithic is a one piece. Yes. Whereas the deer rounds that we use, special exemption on your license used to be um, soft head, even in a copper jacket. So the copper jacket is there to enable the bullet to engage with the rifling to, to impart that. Yes. The, the, the spin that stabilizes it. Um, but then the, the, the lead tip expands on it on, on impact and, and peels the jacket back, which creates a broader wound channel yeah. and, and just that transfers that, that energy. Yeah. Um, so the copper rounds, you've now got to move more to a ballistic tip, which will drive that plastic back in. And But, but the copper, the, it's going to remain a single piece of copper, unlike the, the, the lead or the copper jacketed rounds that will expand. It'll be interesting, but I've seen enough research that says they can work. Do I think we should be having to do it? No, but actually, am I happy to go and do it now that I've read some of the stuff on lead and dogs and consumers? Yes. Yeah, I think that's okay. And you've done your ballistic testing and you've... I have yet to do that because right, okay. uh, but, but I've, but I've for, got the bullets okay. ordered, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'd like to get that all done over the summer ready for, for next season. And of course, yeah. people like the National um, um, NT. Yeah. Yeah, uh, National Trust have yes. uh, taken the decision, and and I think the the woodland uh, guys, well, the Forestry Commission, that you've probably got to be on copper now if you mm. if you're going to take any leases mm. with them. Do you think um, you know education wise, youngsters, people growing up? Do you think we're doing enough to push game generally, or you know, food outside of pork, beef, chicken? Do, do you think there's enough going on? No, I, I think there's two aspects to that: education, the young. Um, and we, we've talked about it on various days in the field, is this whole, um, the legislation coming in around air rifles. Really? We grew up with air rifles. Yeah. Does that make us into 
bank robbers and no, nutters. No, not. um, and that's essential because it teaches you discipline and teaches you gun handling, yes. two different things, and respect for your quarry and field craft. But, you know, crawling in that bit closer, Simon Darling, the days of having to grip within <laughs> 15 yards to have a chance of your BSA meteor that, actually that, connecting that, with a rabbit. That's very kind of you to call uh, me that, but it's actually John Darling, but you can call me well, Darling. Right, yes, you're right. <laughs> that was our joke. That was black, a very you. black Got color. Um, so no, we're not doing enough. Look, the problem is, it's fundamentally, there's too many humans in the world, right? Yeah. And uh, um, Malthus was was right. Uh, whilst we've averted, you know, we, we kid ourselves that we've averted a disaster because we continue to feed this ever-growing population, mm. but we are killing the means of sustaining ourselves: soil degradation, earthworms, all the rest of it. Mm. It's all there. We have written our own destruction because we just simply can't keep it in our pants. Yes. You you, you mentioned earlier about um, you know how how one would sort of approach if they wanted to, to, to get out and go stalking or interested in stalking, um, time spent, basically, like most things, that then would uh, normally channel towards then doing the DSC-1. Um, is it difficult to get a firearms licence now, based on the fact that you create a track record and, and can, can sort of clearly show that you are, you know, committed and pursuing? Yes. Obviously, having a firearms licence is a key, is essential it, part well, of you can go stalking. Out, well, yes, if you want to do it. If you want to go out with a professional stalker, there's the estate right full facility, so you can always go out and use theirs. Yeah. Um, shotgun, much more of an onus, uh, or, or much more of a, not quite the right term, much more of a right to have a shotgun in the UK. Yes. You've got to prove much more um, use and access to land for a firearm, and the police will typically give you a closed firearm, which is to say there's certain bits of land that they have decided is safe for you to shoot on. Yeah. Um, and then you can move to an open. The irony there is that it's not the land that's safe, it's the user. It's not the rifle that's unsafe either when they talk to you about different calibres. Once you've got a centrefire rifle or any rifle beyond an air rifle, sub-FAC, you need a backstop. Yeah. It's very simple. Yeah. It's not It's not the land that's the, the challenge, no. it's, it's the user. Uh, yes. um, <laughs> so, I, I don't know, it's been a while um, since I got my firearms certificate. Mm. Um, mm. But showing that training with a professional stalker uh, and the qualifications actually made their job a lot easier. And I remember talking to uh, um, one of the examiners, actually, I don't know if it's a BDS examiner, uh, and they were saying that, funnily enough, a, a large percentage of people who do the DSC-1 are actually doing it because they're interested in nature, yes. habitat, not necessarily the culling of, yep. uh, not as in they're against culling, obviously they're doing the course, they're there, but they were there not necessarily to become a professional stalker, yep. not necessarily to shoot lots of deer, but just wanted that. And, and understand, I, I think yeah. as I've said a couple of times throughout our conversation, that is the, I think the, the, one of the lovely, the many lovely things, one of the lovely things about the management of deer, let's say, is that you end up having that quite broad understanding of quite a lot of stuff outdoors well you do but yeah. it's interesting you know if i go up to scotland and i go stalking up there I, I consider that i know very little yeah sure partly because they're gillies that have been doing it for many many years but also it's just a different world up mm. there uh, in terms of how the deer behave the wind the topography the ground it's what i love about, about anybody outside you know f people who fish you know they've got an yes. understanding of water temperature of landscape of the breeding process and, and yes. habitats and, and pigeon shooters you know this is what i think is overlooked you know and, and why it irritates me and i know i'm biased because i am a shooter but 
this misunderstanding is always largely around ignorance, isn't it? And this is why it, I it's think... It's a presumption. Yeah, yes. that education yes. is, is fabulous. And as I've also said today, I, I, I will regularly say there is no such thing as a stupid question. Ask, understand. Yeah. Yep. You know. And and so are you are you seeing many people coming into shooting at the moment? We oh, have seen an influx in newbies. Great. That's the term. Which is fabulous. And, and how many of them are doing this, your your beautiful clay grant, as as an opportunity uh, as a learning ground to then go on and, and shoot pigeons or pheasants or Game. Uh, do you know what? Funnily enough, not, not necessarily a high percentage, which I find uplifting. Yep. Uh, they're not vegetarians. Um, they're not not interested or against. They're just coming to learn clay shooting as a discipline, right? which is fabulous. Um, and as I say to them, don't come in to learn to do something. Come in and learn how to shoot a shotgun. And obviously, clays are yep. the you know the the format of of you know to shoot at to train you know a target to hit. And women, we get a real cross section here, yeah, and that's really uplifting. And young shots, um, and I think that um, for us, two pronged, largely women in shooting over the last ten years is, you know, grown to sort of yep. it doubled, trebled. It's huge, and I'd put that down largely to the Chelsea Bun Club and a girl called Victoria Knowles-Lacks, right. who's a wonderful woman. She's brilliant. Uh, but she started the Shotgun and Chelsea Bun Club. Yes. And I think that was the catalyst. Yep. That just, they, all of a sudden, women flocked. Superb. Since then, lots of other... that core, yeah, that critical mass. L- lots of other ladies' clubs and some of similar size, yep. you know, and great, all, all good, doesn't doesn't matter. But she, she, I would say she was the sort of start. Right. Um, but for us, so thanks to her and all the other clubs, great. But also, I think here, uniquely, which is as much as I'll say about us, because this is about you, um, it's about atmosphere. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> as much the as The different I, types of clay shooting well, grounds. Well, you know, there's some grounds that are, uh, you know... A bit more macho. ...male-orientated. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it was a male-dominated sport for many, many yes. years. Um, you know, and, and, and transitions are, are slow. Um, but here we're welcoming of all. And uh, quite bluntly, I'd rather be surrounded by women than blokes. So um, for me, it's a win-win. <laughs> well, the, win. <laughs> well, what I find fascinating is, is you know, um, I took Zania out uh, yesterday for the first time. We were using the rimfire rifle, and then we actually progressed to the centrefire. Mm. All right, we made, it, made sure it was well-supported, because the, the, the one thing I didn't want her to do was to have a bad experience with it. Yet again, that girl's going to wipe my eye in no time. And just for clarity, Zaini is your wonderful wife. She's my yeah. wonderful wife. And, and, uh, and, and, co, she co, uh, is, and she is now expressing an interest. She has moved from, we talked about education earlier, yeah. she has moved from one of our early dates when I was living in Guildford. She walked into the kitchen and there was lunch on the table. It was a wood pigeon that I'd shot with the yes. air rifle. Um, we had a lovely pigeon salad, but there was a big leap for her to go from, oh my gosh, yes. to that. And then there was the whole deer thing. And actually, I'm never going to be able to shoot a deer. I kind of don't understand what you do through to, I do understand what you do, but I'm never going to do it through to, actually, I'll come out rabbit shooting with you in the near future, so hence yesterday, and I might take a shot now that I, as you know, she's been practising yes. a lot. So she's, she's wanted to ensure, as we all would want to ourselves, that she's capable and competent before she goes out to of do course. it, so she can ensure that it's done humanely. But she can now make that link between killing something for food. Mm. And 
she's now saying that she could imagine the day when she'll come out and shoot a deer. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, it just it keeps coming back to the same thing. It's, it's education. And, and, and I think it's utterly essential because if, if you don't like, you know, if you don't like it, that's fine. But have tried it. Everybody has adage. a choice, right? I do struggle sometimes with meat eaters who say they don't like it. I, I can't quite stack that together. Um, that's to me is the ultimate hypocrisy. Well, absolutely. And, 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 and I would imagine that if I, you, you know, took, took that particular individual to one of the nastier sides of, you know, chicken production yeah. or whatever, you know, that they not necessarily become vegetarian, but they certainly then have an understanding of yes. how things are done and I've, correctly. And, and yeah. I've had this and, conversation. And we've talked with, about and the And I've flavor. sat at people's dinner tables mm. eating meat mm. and they've said, oh, mm, mm. dear, don't know how you can do that. Cruel. Mm. Cruel. Yeah, walk into a walk into a, a, a great big uh, hangar full of chickens eating, pecking each other. Yes. That's cruel. Yeah, yeah. And but anyway. yeah. Um, so, okay. Are you happy? Um, obviously, I know you're running a business, and like all of us, time is precious. Um, I'm always quite open to say to people to call in, email, phone with those questions. Yeah, because if we can help, then Absolutely. I feel we're doing our job. Um, are you happy for people to contact? I know you don't want hundreds of thousands of people asking you questions, but are you happy? Please do. Because you've got a beautiful website, and I, and oh, I like you. the fact, you know, apart from you being committed to what you do, which is a no-brainer, you have got the cookery side, you have got those little snippets of information, you take it very seriously, you clearly are very knowledgeable. Um, I bet there's a lot of people listening thinking, I'd love to have a chat with him. I'd love to ask him a silly question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Please do. Um Great fun recently went out with Charlie Jacoby and the Field Sports Channel. Uh, we spent a lovely seven hours. What a great guy. Uh, oh, we spent some time together doing that, and I'm hoping that, that you're going to catch up with so, those guys there. So that's on, on Field Sports TV? Yeah, that's on TV. Field Sports TV, but also yeah. you can find it on my website. Brilliant. Um, so let's just, okay, just for clarity on there. So uh, Chilton Venison website, what's the address? ChiltonVenison.co.uk. Nice okay. and simple. You'll find us on Instagram at the same and Facebook. Um, the reason for segueing there into the, the Charlie Jacoby piece was I gave him a quick tour of the, the facilities, as minimal as they are on some of the grounds, but also did make the offer on there that if anybody is considering going into local supply mm. um, in a in an out-of-skin format, but is a bit worried about the, the whole HACCP forms, the hazard accident critical control point forms, yeah. and how you go about this, give me a call. I have shared my paperwork, which I like to think is pretty exhaustive. It runs yeah. to about 30-odd pages. You can tailor it to your own, but... The basics are all there. I always say to people, you're very welcome. I've got it there for in-skin and out-of-skin. Just give me a call. Or I ask for a small donation to either um, the Midland Trust or BDS, Lovely. British Deer Society. That's really nice. And I think most people see that as more than reasonable. And uh, when are you selling the merch? <laughs> I'll follow your lead on that, big guy. If, if anybody's listening on uh, you know, the audio um, platforms, you, you won't get this. But for YouTube, uh, Jeff, take a slight turn to the uh, right. There you go. It's my, That's the my Chilton smart Venison. Uh, That's it. Yeah, merch coming to a shop near you soon. <laughs> um, I think today's been amazing purely because not only are you a great mate and, uh, as I've said a couple of times, fabulous uh, in your field, um, I'm hoping that today's conversation largely has been very progressive, um, hopefully interesting in its own right, but for pro 
progressive for somebody who's maybe considering yeah. wanting to know a bit more. I think you've broken down some barriers. You've put some, you know, clarity into where there's otherwise shade. Um, and indeed, you've got your website, the details on there, and are easily accessible. So um, for, for, for being utterly wonderful and an absolute pleasure, Jeff Wickett of Chiltern Venison, thank you very much indeed. Um, wish you the very best Great. and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you here's again some venison barbecues. Soon. indeed nice to see Simon, you chap take care you. cheers Bye. for now